Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray is committed to helping people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can find all our information at fbcgray.org. Now, let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. song we just sang we stand forgiven at the cross it makes us feel good because we understand what that means and one of the things that I want us to remember is we are doing who's your one because we want them to feel the same thing we want them to know the forgiveness that we have we want them to know the peace that comes knowing that at the end of my life I will be welcomed home by a father I want them to know that every day of their lives, there are promises in this book that the Father will deliver to them every single day. That's what we want. That's why we do Who's Your One. So if you don't have a one, I encourage you right now to be praying. Don't just pick somebody out of thin air. Whoever the Lord lays on your heart, let them be your one and pray for them and pray for them regularly and maybe God will give you an opportunity to say something to them or maybe give somebody else the opportunity it doesn't matter the fact of the matter is is their name goes up before him so that's an important thing another thing y'all remember to pray for Bo he ought to be uh, he ought to be uh, service ought to be going on right now down at the uh, Charity Baptist Church down in I guess it's Hayhara uh, I don't know if he has a Valdosta address there, if it's Hayhara there, but that's where Bo is this morning. He was our pastor of students and missions. And one of the things that I want to make sure doesn't get lost in the interim while we're waiting for the Lord to deliver our next student and missions pastor is I don't want us to lose sight of the Great Commission offering. Uh, the Great Commission offering is something that we started a couple of, maybe I think it's almost three years ago now here at First Baptist. It is what we ask folks to do. I do it myself. I participate in this. Is whatever your normal giving is, we give a tithe. We give a tithe based on our gross income. So we tithe that, and then we go a little bit above that and give that difference to the Great Commission offering in addition to what we normally would give, just a little bit each month. What that does is we use that money at First Baptist. We divide it up into four different places. 30 cents out of every dollar you give to the Great Commission offering goes to the Annie Armstrong, uh, Annie Armstrong offering for North American missions. And folks, we need North American missions. We've got SEND cities, S-E-N-D cities, and I guess they could be S-I-N cities because they are cities that don't have a presence of the gospel in them. One of them is Atlanta, Georgia, that doesn't hardly have a Southern Baptist church within the confines of 285. It's Baltimore, Maryland. There's New Orleans, Louisiana. There's a number of different churches, uh, different cities that the North American Mission Board is focusing on to bring the gospel to. Uh, and that, that's North America. 30 cents of your dollar goes that. 30 cents goes to international missions. You saw that this morning. Uh, on the video that goes around the world to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. 15%, 15 cents, uh, $100 of that 15% goes to Sunrise Ministries where we send people. We thought it would be much smarter 
to let to support Ronnie Henson and the work he does down there and send folks down to him instead of us trying to have a clothes place here and a food place here and a everything else place here. We send them down to Ronnie. Easiest thing in the world, just send them on down to Ronnie. Had somebody this week that needed something, called Ronnie up, he had it, said he'd make us a special deal. Hey, I love it, let's do it. The other, the remaining part of that 15 cents goes to the Branch Church out in Milledgeville. Y'all have met some of the guys from the Branch Church. They're on fire for Jesus. They want to reach the Georgia College campus. They want to reach the um, Georgia Military College campus for Jesus. We're supporting them. They can reach the kids out there. Kind of selfish because a lot of our kids go to Georgia College, so we're sort of helping out our own while we're over there, so that's a good thing. And then 25 cents we keep here at First Baptist to do mission work here that we don't normally have in the budget. We help support bands in the sands. We have a football team that we've helped feed, soccer team that we've done things with, whole host of things where we get an opportunity to spread the gospel in Jones County. So that's where your Great Commission offering goes to. I encourage you to do it. Uh, the thing that we did is, uh, me, my family, what we would, used to do is when Annie Armstrong came along, we'd give like 100 bucks, and when uh, Lottie Moon came, you'd give another 100 bucks, that's a couple hundred bucks, that's what you did, because it's just what you did. We give $40 a month now. <clears throat> Doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it's $480. That's over twice what we used to do. And it doesn't hurt. It's just what we do. And that money goes to spread the gospel. So not just asking you for your money. There's things, reasons for it. You've got to have it to make things happen. Don't forget the Great Commission offering. When you, do, when you want to give the Great Commission offering, you write a check. You write Great Commission offering on it. Don't write missions. If you write missions, that goes to a different bucket. Put it into Great Commission Offering. Or if you give online, click the little button online, find Great Commission Offering, click on that, and you've done your job. So that's what we're asking you to do. It is a good thing we gave more to Annie Armstrong and to Lottie Moon in the last several years than we have in the past because of this. Without beating us on the head, without setting crazy goals and dancing in the streets and get pies in the face, we just give faithfully regularly and boom we do the work for the Lord so it's good stuff so there you go there's the commercial now I need you to turn to Romans chapter 4 just to let y'all know how Romans has affected me I dreamed four nights in a row lately that I got fired ah. <laughs> just want you to know it's messed in my head because see I was talking to another pastor who was telling me what he was preaching this morning and I thought my people would like that had this neat little story he was going to tell and how it all worked and, and the little point that came out at the end of it. And <clears throat> I thought, well, that's a pretty good little message, you know. That's pretty good. He asked, what are you preaching? I said, Romans chapter 4. Well, there we go. I'm just telling my people that we need to stake our life on Jesus, that that's what it means to believe. We've talked about for three weeks. Paul's still hammering the point home, and he hammers it home a little bit, a little bit more here. And the more I hear it, the more I understand that whatever we, level of belief we have been at before, it is time to kick it up a notch. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes of why it's time to kick it up a notch. I believe that the Lord is leading us. <clears throat> we, we gathered over at the courthouse this morning 
At 714, some of our folks were there to read our section of the scripture. They, we read the whole Bible across the whole United States. Uh, it's like nine uh, states involved, and there were people in Central America and people in Africa that were reading at 714 this morning. Uh, the scripture, I believe there's a reason for all this. I believe the Lord is calling his people to a deeper understanding of him so that they can stand firm in the face of what's going on right now so that we will come back. You know, the scripture says 714. It comes from 2 Chronicles 714. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He's not talking to the United States of America. He is talking to the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, if my people will turn, that's us. So that's why he's doing that. I believe that's why he's doing this. It is time to get real. It's time to get real. So anyway, enough. Go to the book of Romans, chapter 4. If you have your scripture journal, your uh, ESV scripture journal, it's on page 20. If you don't have one, it's not too late. You can order it from Amazon or Walmart.com. Cost about seven bucks, no matter where you get it from. It's a good thing to have, whether you take notes or not. Scripture on one side, note page on the other. You can read I'm telling you, if you will sit down, get by yourself, spend some time in Romans, you're going to end up making notes because God's going to speak to you through this text. So anyway, first verse of chapter 4 says this, when then shall, uh, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Chapter 4 is going to talk about Abraham, so we need to remind ourselves of who Abraham was and why he was such a big deal to the Jews. If you go back to Genesis chapter 11, the very end of chapter 11, you hear Terah had, 70, uh, Terah had lived 70 years. He fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, God would later change Abram's name to Abraham. God's in the business of changing people's names. He's going to talk about somebody else. He changed their names. And do you know what? In Revelation, I'm 99% sure I did not check this out, but I think I remember correctly that in the book of Revelation, at the end of time, he's going to change your name too. You're going to get a new name. And I believe he writes it on a white rock, if I'm not remembering that incorrectly, and gives it to you, and only you and he know his pet name for you. Isn't that cool? Dad's got a pet name for each one of us. That's cool. He's in the business. So anyway, he changed Abraham. That's a completely different story. So he changes Abraham's name. And then chapter 12, you hear this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed for Haran. At the very end of chapter 11, he's born. First verse of chapter 12, the man's already 75 years old. 75 years old, God promises this old man that his wife Sarah would have a baby. We know that was biologically impossible. He was old as dirt, and she was catching up pretty fast. Biologically, there was no way that she could have a baby, and yet she had a baby whose name was Isaac. 
Isaac grew up, had a wife. She had a baby whose name was Jacob. Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. Now the light switch ought to come on for you. See, this is why Abraham's so important. Now we hear Israel and we understand the Jews, nation of Israel is very, very important to them. And what they understand is that all of these promises that God has made to Abraham, he's made to them. So he's made these promises. He said, these, all this land that you're going to walk through is going to be yours. All these blessings that's given to Abraham, he's given to the Jewish people. He's given to Israel. And then God makes this promise and says, <clears throat> I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And this is where the people got messed up. See, God's saying that faithful Abraham, I will be faithful Abraham's God. He will believe in me and I will be his God, that there is a faith relationship that's going to go on here. But the people that were, Jew, were Jewish or people that lived in Israel look back to Abraham and they said, God promised he's going to be Abraham's God, then he's my God too. Because I'm a Jew, I'm in, it's okay. Because I'm Catholic, I'm in, it's okay. Because I'm Presbyterian, I'm in, it's okay. Because I'm Episcopalian, I'm in, it's okay. Because I'm Methodist, I'm in, it's okay. Because I'm Southern Baptist, I'm in, it's okay. All I gotta do is be a member of this group and we're all good. And God's saying in chapter four through Paul, he's saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. It is not all good. Just because you carry a name doesn't make you anything. So we're going to read the entire fourth chapter of the book of Romans. I've lost my mind, I know. And here's what I did. I sat down, I practiced this thing. Y'all, I mean, like, like you practice baseball and football and soccer and all those things, I practice the sermon, I go through it multiple times every week, and I read the scripture to see what it's going to sound like. And when I read it from the English Standard Version, about halfway through, it started sounding like wonk, 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 just like Charlie Brown's teacher. So I said, what am I going to do? Because we need to hear the text. We need to hear the story. Then I remembered Mr. Peterson's message. It sounds a little different. I want you to pay attention as we read through here. This is uh, the message translation, sort of in a, in a modern language, except it was written back in the 80s, so it's still got a little dated stuff to it. But I'm going to read the whole fourth chapter of Romans. Listen to me. Do not do your grocery list. Don't think about your to-do list for Monday. Listen to what the text is saying, what God is saying to each one of us through Paul. So how do we fit so how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he certainly could have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story. It's not an Abraham story. What we read in Scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. I tell you, this preaches. If you're a hard worker and you do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift, but if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do and you trust him to do it, 
You could never do it for yourself, no matter how hard or how long you worked well. That trusting in him to do it is what sets you right with God, by God, sheer gift. David confirms this way of looking at it, saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man. Fortunate those whose crimes are carted off, whose sins are wiped clean from the slate. Fortunate the, the person against whom the Lord does not keep score. Do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it is possible that the blessing could be given to those who never even heard of our ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. Now think, was that declaration made before or after he was marked by the covenant rite of circumcision? It's right before he was marked. That means that he underwent circumcision as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself, an act of God he embraced with his whole life and it means further that Abraham is father of all people who embrace what God's done for them while they are still on the outs with God as yet unidentified as God's in an uncircumcised condition it is precisely these people in this condition who are called set right with God by God with God Abraham is also of course the father of those who have undergone the religious rite of circumcision, not just because of the ritual, but because they were willing to live in the risky faith embrace of God's action for them. The risky faith embrace of God's action for the, the, the way Abraham lived long before he was marked. That famous promise God gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they're told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise, that's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there's no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise, you can't break it. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God in his way and then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is the father of us all. He's not our racial father. It's reading the story backwards. He's our faith father. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in the scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as the father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life. With a word, make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. 
And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child, nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He did not tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said, Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it's us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. There is so much in there we could preach for like a month. That is such good stuff. So three things that we want to look at this morning. Three things that we want to know before we leave in just a little bit. First, what made Abraham special to God? What, secondly, what didn't make Abraham special to God? And third, what makes us special to God? So first is what made Abraham special is Romans 4.3. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What did Abraham believe God for? God told Abraham, God told Abraham to go to a land that God would show him. He didn't tell him ahead of time where he was going to go. God simply told him to go. Just get up and go and when you get there, I'll put a sign in the road that says, you're home and you can stop then. But until then, don't you stop. He told him to have so many children that, the, that he could go outside and count the stars and, and, and if he could count all the stars, that his offspring would number more than the stars. He told him that, and then Abram looks at his wife and realizes that his wife, he and his wife, are too old for all of that nonsense. But Paul makes his argument this way. He says, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Now think about this for a second. What did Abraham do? What did Abraham do? I've had this conversation with my beloved bride before. I can tell you what their face looks like when you walk in and do something like this. But put yourself in Abraham's shoes and imagine what your beloved bride, the look that would be on her face when you come in. You come in to, from work a little bit early that day and she just happens to be home. And she says, honey, you're home early. And you reply, yep, I thought I'd come in and, and, and get started packing. And she'd say, packing? Are we moving? Did you get that promotion that you've been trying to get for so long? Well, actually, no, I quit. That's where they give you the funny look. I can tell you right now, it's a funny look that comes over their face when you walk in and say, I quit my job today. And they didn't have a clue that that was about to come down. That's what he did. You quit. Well, yeah, I did. See, see God talked to me and told me that we would need to move. And he told me that, that when we got to where we were supposed to go, that that's... that's where we would be and that he'd let me know when we got there and but he did tell me this now this is good news you know how you've always wanted a baby and you thought well you know we'll just never have a child but God said you're going to have a baby I'm 75 mm -hmm. sort of strange isn't it but you're going to have a baby God said so so let's get packing and she would say something like really Mr. Unemployment Line talk to me more about this God person you see 
When we think about Abraham, we, think, we, we move Abraham into our context as though he lived in a place like we live. Abraham lived in 1900 B.C. That's 400 years before Moses. 400 years before the Ten Commandments. 400 years before the sacrificial system was set up. 400 years before there was a tent of meeting. 400 years before any of the churchy, synagogue kind of things were set up. It wasn't there. And we've heard the story so many times, we're immune, but Abraham staked his life on God. He's going to go walking through this area that's, that's not a good place to go for a hike, that there's not a whole lot of water. It's not a great place for a Sunday afternoon stroll. He's placing his life on the line for God. Now, I know, I know, if you've ever listened to me, listen now. Believing in God is, what not, is not what many of us have been led to believe that it is. We've been taught that if you believe these statements and you can say them in the proper order and you can take a test and you say that you believe these things are true, then you're good and off you go. But that's not what God is laying out in front of here. Just because you've memorized half the Bible and can spit it out like a machine gun or you've, you've said a little abracadabra prayer or you've walked an aisle or you got wet in a baptismal pool, believing means that you stake your life on what this book says. I truly believe that's why so many people have been baptized and you've said it and I've said it. They go to church, they get baptized and then they leave and they live this crazy life and you never see from them again, you never hear from them again, but you want to hang on to once saved, always saved, but you know that they weren't changed. And if they weren't changed, then chances are really good that they didn't believe, they just know. And what God is telling us is that we need to stake our lives. We must stake our lives on Jesus. That we stake everything that we have, everything we believe, everything we do hinges on him. Have you staked your life on God? Have you staked your life on God? Does it make, he make that kind of difference in your life? Randy, you need to get over this. This is why I've been dreaming about getting fired. Randy, you need to get over this. You keep saying it over and over and over again. The first four chapters of Romans, sort of repetitive it seems like, keep saying this thing. I want to make sure we understand this. Believing in Jesus means that we stake our existence on him. That we put everything on the line for him. Y'all know I read Twitter. I don't get, you scroll through Twitter, I guess. And I ran across, I retweeted this the other day. If, if you're ever on Twitter and you see me retweet something, 99 times out of 100, I'm retweeting it so that it gets on my page so I can find it easy later on. I retweeted something the other day. It's this story. It's from uh, the Washington Times, the July 10th edition. I want to read it to you. It says, U.S. women's team snub Christian player. Read this again. U.S. women's team's snub of a Christian player, Royals, Royals, R-O-I-L-S, 
Figure that word out for yourself. Soccer. I know what it means. I'm having trouble pronouncing it. Celebration continued Wednesday for the U.S. women's soccer team after its historic Women's Cup title, even as questions resurfaced about, one of, about why one of the best players in the nation was not there. Jaylene Hinkle, 26-year-old star for the North Carolina Courage professional team, has been called the top left defender in the U.S. game. But she wasn't selected for the national team, a decision that may have had more to do with politics than prowess. Let me just make this disclaimer about soccer. Elizabeth, right off the bat, I know nothing about soccer. I don't know what a top left defender is. This is going to talk about caps later on, I don't know what that means. If y'all know soccer, you'll understand this stuff. If you don't, just do like me and pretend and move on, okay? But she was the top left defender, okay? In 2017, Hinkle turned down a call-up from the national team for a pair of international friendlies after learning that the players would wear rainbow-themed jerseys in honor of Gay Pride Month. She said later that the uniform conflicted with her Christian faith. I just felt so convicted in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear this jersey. I gave myself three days to seek and pray and determine what God was asking me to do in this situation. Hinkle has not played for the national team since. After she was left off the World Cup roster, Coach Jim Ellis, Jill Ellis told reporters that the decision was solely based on soccer, an explanation greeted with widespread skepticism. Uh, conservative pundit Eric Erickson said Monday that she was shoved aside in a sport known for feminist virtue signaling while the Irish Times read the June 12th headline, Religious Clash Leaves USA's Best Left Back and Observer of the World Cup Team. Let me skip a little bit. Uh, he said the episode offered a warning to Christians seeking to live out their faith while pursuing their professional dreams. Chances are that they too could face a choice. It could be whether to wear the jersey, it could be whether to bake the cake. We know that increasingly there's going to have to be conformity on your viewpoint to be able to participate. I think that's what's inevitable. We use the phrase, the theology of being fired in this case. It's the theology of being cut. Obedience comes with a price. I want to find one other thing she said right quick. Uh... I should have marked it, but I didn't. So you guys hang on one second. Here it is. She acknowledged she knew the risk when she declined to wear the jersey. I'm essentially giving up the one dream, little girl's dream, about their entire life. It was very disappointing. And I think that's where the peace trumps the disappointment. Because I knew in my spirit I was doing the right thing. I knew I was being obedient. Just because you're obedient doesn't make it easy. Now, I am not making a statement against the gay pride and LGBT. We talked about that back in Romans 1. What I'm making a statement about here, reading her story, is this. She staked her life on it. She staked her life on her belief in Jesus Christ. And when the time came where she had to make a stand, she made a stand and she gave up her dream that she had worked for all of her life 
And I wonder what we would have done in the same situation. And as parents, what would you have done in the same situation? This sports thing ain't cheap. If any of y'all are involved in any of that, you know that ain't a lie. This stuff ain't cheap. And these kids go all over the place. Matt Goins, the guy that does the parks and recreation, is, is finishing up 10 days this week and next week with his two daughters in two different venues playing softball because it's, you know, it's going to get them somewhere and help them in college and all this kind of good stuff. You have to go. You have to stay. You have to pay for rooms. You have to eat food. You have to do all the stuff. They have cleats. They have stuff. You know, we did the band thing. It ain't cheap got this dream of doing something great and then this comes up what would you tell your kid well honey just overlook it it's no big deal that's just a stupid jersey everybody knows who you are just go on live your dream is that what we would do she staked her life on God and because of that she was called on to make a statement that said I will follow him and it cost her dearly have you staked your life on God back in a day when there was no such thing as two men in a truck Abraham packed up everything he had and started walking and in the meantime for 25 years he was regularly intimate with his wife hoping that baby would come this time they were intimate with each other in their 70s and in their 80s, and in their 90s. And sometime in there, they even started wondering, did we, did we understand how God was going to do this? And that's how we ended up with the Arab mess that we've got because now we've got Hagar and all of this stuff gets all convoluted out there. But even in that, they didn't doubt that the child was going to come. They just thought maybe they'd misunderstood the method. Scripture says he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. What made Abraham special to God? He staked his life on God. He staked his life on God. Question number two. What didn't make Abraham special to God? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. Okay, let's think about this. Paul talks about works here. New Testament, we tend to use works and law interchangeably because it's, you know, it's New Testament. If it's the works, it's works of the law, it's doing the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. It can't mean that here because the Ten Commandments hadn't been written yet. It's talking about Abraham being a good man. Talking about being a good man, like we've said at so many funerals, that they were a good person. They'd give you the shirt off their back. Y'all, everybody gives a shirt. Every funeral I've ever been to, somebody has told me they'll give, they'd give you the shirt off their back. So let's just be clear right here. I know that every one of y'all would give the shirt off your back to somebody. We got that clear. I'll put it in the notes. I'll say it. It'll all be good. Everybody says that. They're good people. They're good people. Abraham, Abraham, if he could have been justified by being a good man then Abraham could lean back and he could have said I'm a good man look at me y'all be like me Abraham could have looked at God and God would have said whoa that's my boy Abraham I can't wait till he gets home we'll have nothing but good people up here this will be a good place to be the word boasted says he could boast literally means he could glorify himself he could have said like the soccer champion said I deserve this 
I deserve this. Or like one of the presidential candidates said, I was born for this. I'm the man I am. I deserve it. Abraham couldn't do that because Abraham knew he wasn't the man and he didn't deserve it. Being a child of Abraham doesn't make you right with God. Being a member of a group doesn't make you right with God. Being a member of a church doesn't make you right with God. Staking your life on God makes you right with God. Last question, number three, what makes us what makes us special to God? Well, same thing that made Abraham special to God makes us special to God. We stake our lives on him. We forsake everything that pulls us in any direction at all, and we follow God, period. But now I want to talk about how that works. How does that operate? How does God make us right? Well, Jesus died on the cross, was buried, was resurrected on the third day. That's right. How does that work? How does it work that we're made right with God? <clears throat> have you ever been in a grocery store? I know you have. It may have been you that this happened to. It's happened to me a couple of times. I've been on both ends of the exchange. <clears throat> you're in line at the grocery store. You're ready to check out. You push the buggy through. She rings everything up, and she says, that'll be $330. And you look in your wallet, and you have $325. You ever done that? Man, I'm telling you, five bucks is like a million bucks when you don't have it. And you just get all, wah, and you know, 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 that everybody in the store is staring at you because you're holding up the line and you can see the people behind you. They're all standing there, got that look on their face like, yeah, I had to get in this line, didn't I? They're going to turn that light on just a minute. They're going to call a manager over. And I'm going to be here for 30 minutes waiting on this lady. Just put something back. It's what you want to do, but you know, and, and you're just all, mm. So you're standing at the, grocery, at the grocery line, cashier's there. And you've got the person in front of you. You've done this before. I bet you you've done this before. You turn to the cashier and you say, just let me pay that. Let me pay that. You especially do it with kids. You know, kids go up and he's 10 cents short. Let me do that. Let me pay for them. That's what God did for us. And what, that's exactly how this thing works. David said in one of the Psalms, Paul quotes, and blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man who the Lord will not count his sin. The lady at the register, her sin was not having enough money. I covered her sin when I paid. Now think with me. She knows that she has a debt. And she knows that debt was paid. She won't go home pretending, you should have seen me at the grocery store today. I was fought all short and all this stuff and these people. You should have seen how I handled it. She won't go home and do that. She's going to go home and she's going to say, you know, there was this little chubby gray-headed guy behind me. And I was standing there and he gave me the money that I needed to pay for my groceries. I don't even know if I'd recognize him if I saw him again. But wasn't that nice of that guy to pay my debt for me. She's going to feel blessed. She is blessed. When we stake our lives on Jesus, we will feel blessed. We will be blessed because our debt has been covered. 
David says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Ten times, ten times in chapter four, Paul uses the word count or counts. And here's why. The lady at the register, she's God. The lady running the register, she's God. She's counted my money as the lady's money. It didn't, care, it didn't matter to her. She had to have an account to pull it from because there was a debt that had to be paid. Our debt, our sin debt is not just erased. It's not just thrown away. God doesn't just overlook everything we've ever done. That wouldn't be justice. That debt has to be paid by somebody. So Jesus came and died on the cross and was raised on the third day. And when my debt is presented before God, the money is taken out of Jesus' account to pay my debt. I am staking my life on that transaction. I am staking my life that Jesus did everything he could, everything he did to pay my debt, to set me free. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Staking our lives on Jesus means that we are fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. This book is full of things that God's promised. But one of the most important ones to me comes from John 17 that says, this is eternal life. Jesus is speaking. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If we stake our lives on Jesus, then we get to know Jesus and we get to know the Father. And that's our reward. And the thing that's required of us is faith. It's belief. It's staking our life on him and having a changed life. John Stott said this, faith's exclusive function, faith's exclusive function is humbly to receive what grace offers. And grace offers us eternal life. Have you staked your life on Jesus? Not just have a knowledge of him, but had a moment in your life where you, with conviction, said, wherever you lead, I will go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this young lady that made the stand of faith. And Lord, not many people are going to know about her. I mean, there's the article that was written, and, and some of us will hear, but she'll fade quickly from view. The ones that won the World Cup, that are on all the talk shows, that are making all the political statements, they're the ones that are getting the glory. But Lord, one day this young, young woman's going to meet you face to face and it is to her you will say, well done. 
because you gave her a purpose and you put meaning to her life a meaning that was bigger to her than soccer a meaning that was bigger than her dreams because her biggest dream is to follow you Lord I don't know if you're preparing us in this country for something the, the church you're preparing us for something big I think you are I think Lord you're calling us to a deeper faith and to a moment of understanding where we, we say I will follow as for me and my house we will follow the Lord unwaveringly and that we'll accept whatever comes along I'm afraid, Lord, that some of us will lose jobs. Some of us will lose family members. Some of us may even lose spouses. But in the midst of it all, we'll have peace because we know that what you started, you will finish and that you will accomplish all of the promises that you have made for us. Lord, please hammer that into our souls. The words I preach are so weak. Oh, Father, your word is strong. Help us to hear the call of Jesus to come and let him in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. We hope you have been encouraged by this week's message. For additional resources and information, you can visit our website at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away.